0: You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne. Recorded 10am on November 26th, 2023. Presented by Reverend Chris Duke. There we go. Uh, Acts 2, we're going to look at today. Commencing in verse 40. Now, of course, the um, context here is that uh, uh, Pentecost, this is the day of Pentecost and uh, uh, the uh, Holy Spirit has come and uh, with power and it's given boldness to uh, the, the uh, disciples and Peter's got up and he's preached uh, one of his best sermons, uh, in fact his best sermon to date uh, at that occasion and uh, this is now we're dealing with some, some of the aftermath, what happens afterwards. So from verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptised, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." Would you pray with me? Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider these words of when um, your church began in, on the day of Pentecost, in your church in the New Testament time at least, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll give us understanding Of these uh, events they were mighty indeed but they changed everything and so Lord bless us we pray amen today people often express and even believe that the church needs to change and this may be true in some cases but I guess it depends on what aspect you're looking at Some Christians, some Christian leaders even believe that if the church is going to be effective in reaching the world, then the church must change. And then they've gone on to say that the church must change its message so that it's more appealing to the culture or change its methods in reaching the culture. Once again, it will depend on what the message it's been saying. If it changes its message or its methods to appease today's culture so that perhaps it can be more effective in reaching the culture, it will depend on what that message actually is. Well, what does the Bible have to say about the church? The Bible says that we move from the Bible to ministry, not from the culture to ministry, from the Bible, God's word, to ministry. We move from the text to ministry, not from the context to the ministry. We move from what God tells us to be and do and how to do it from his word to ministry not from what the culture says we ought to be saying or doing. And When you think about this, you realise that our culture pervades us. Often we don't understand how how much the culture pervades us. It's all around, around us. It presses us all the time. It's easy to buy into the assumptions of our culture and the thoughts of our culture. There are things that we need to change but not to change to be like our culture. Rather we're to change to think and to do what the Bible says, to live like what God says he wants us to live like, to be a church what the Bible says we ought to be. So why would we look at the question of becoming a church member Why spend a sermon looking at this question? Is it because it's topical? Is it because today we've got people coming into communicant membership today? Well, it's because many wonderful Christians don't appreciate the importance of church membership to Christian discipleship. Many Christians view church membership as incidental to their Christianity they view church membership as optional. But this isn't the case from the Bible's perspective. Church membership is vital and biblical and I would even say it isn't optional. And Jesus gave his final words concerning the Great Commission, which David read out in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There's just one task he gives the first disciples and he also gives it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and likewise he gives that to us. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What's so important about church membership? Why should we care about church membership? And why should any healthy local church be made up of a congregation of Christians who understand the vital importance of being united to and participating in and being accountable to a local fellowship of believers and its shepherds? Well, the answer is because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that membership in a local church is biblical, vital and not optional. Now, over the last 100 years, the evangelical church has it has stressed the importance of evangelizing people, of getting people saved, apart from discipleship. When I grew up, uh, I grew up in a, a under the providence of God, where the gospel was preached, uh, and we weren't truly disciples. In many ways, my discipleship came much later in life after I became uh, a, a committed Christian. You see, he wants us to go and make disciples. Yes, we pray for conversions all the time, but he actually wants us to make disciples. That's what he wants us to do. You can't do evangelism the way Jesus wants us to unless you're doing discipleship. And you can't do discipleship the way Jesus wants us to do without the local church. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. How? By baptising and teaching them. Now Jesus isn't saying that baptism justifies or saves you and and that makes you a Christian. He's not even saying that listening to good theology makes you a Christian. it's better if you do listen to good theology but doesn't make you a Christian. He's not even saying that listening uh, no, he, he. when Jesus is talking about discipleship here and trusting in him alone for salvation, they are part of a community of believers who share the gospel. The community of believers are, are growing to become more Christ-like to become more godlier. And Jesus is telling his disciples that if you're going about it in sanctifying a disciple, then you're going about it by making disciples. How can you take someone who is trusting in Christ alone for salvation, how can you help nurture that person to Christian maturity to become more and more biblical in the way they think and in the way they live to become more Christ-like? And so what does Acts says, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They weren't being saved and being added to their number. Um, They they were being saved and then adding to their number. It's so important for us to understand this. The way you're saved is not joining a church. The way you're saved is not being baptised the way that anyone is saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Then when you are saved, you're saved into the church because when you're united to Christ, to Jesus, you're united to his body, which is his church. In Matthew 28, verse 18, where does Jesus say that discipleship is is supposed to take place? It's to take place in the place where you're baptised and taught. And that is in the local church. I want disciples made of all nations in the local church. That's where discipleship happens. In Hebrews 13 verse 17 it says, How can you obey leaders if you're not in the local church? How can you respect the shepherds? That Jesus has put over you to disciple you, if you're not relating to those shepherds who've been put over you to disciple you. And so Hebrews thirteen seventeen only makes sense to the to uh, or only makes sense for Christians who are in a local church. You're incapable of obeying and respecting spiritual shepherds who God has placed in authority over you. If you're in a fellowship of believers who have spiritual shepherds that have been placed in authority over you for your edification and as people were being saved in Acts 2 verse 47, what was happening? They were being added to their number. He was saying that as they were saved, they became part of the Jerusalem church, the church in Jerusalem, not just the universal church but that local church in Jerusalem, that local gathering of believers in Jerusalem. In other words, each of these passages emphasises the importance of church membership because it's biblical. So why don't we value church membership today? Because even though our salvation isn't by church membership and we're not justified by church membership, yet our sanctification requires church membership. You cannot be discipled as Jesus longs for you to be discipled apart from a relationship in which there is a non-optional mutual accountability. You see, we're accountable to each other. And the only place that can happen is in the church. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. He's saying, here's my plan for discipleship and it's called the local church. And he says there, isn't any other plan. That's why he said to his disciples, I'm going to build my church. And even the gates of hell will not overcome it. So if you hear people predict that the local church is going to disappear in the next 50 years, either they're right or Jesus is right. And I'm going to pick Jesus. The local church might look differently in 50 years. Might be a different building. Who knows? Here's the place where he says that local believers are to be discipled and it's in the local church. But why is it that we don't value church membership? One reason is that it doesn't cost us anything. So consequently we don't value church membership. Maybe it just costs us a few dollars in the offering each week. But in most of church history and in many places in the world today, to be a Christian there's a tremendous cost. For you to be a member, a baptised member of a local church, it could cost you very dearly in some parts of the world today. Let me tell you a story. A high-profile pastor tells a story of a 17-year-old girl that was a member of his congregation. She was a computer science student at their church, uh, Christian college, but she was from a Muslim country. And this country prohibited their people from studying anything about Christianity But as she's studying computer sciences she's also really enjoying studying the Bible and and she's also enjoying learning New Testament Greek. Pretty smart girl for 17. She's only 17 years old and she speaks four languages fluently and she's devouring the study of the New New Testament Greek. Why? Because she wants to translate the Bible into some of the languages and dialects for her home people. You see She heard the gospel and she embraced Christ and she was baptised. But her family is Muslim and in her country it's against the law for a Muslim to ever convert to Christianity, to be baptised and to join a Christian church. However, her father is gracious and open-minded and he loves her very much and he didn't abuse her, he didn't expel her. He didn't arrange for her to be killed for converting to Christianity and he's allowed her to travel to another country to study. But when school break comes, she went home to be with her family. And When she arrives at the airport, she was arrested and she was questioned by the local police as to what she was doing in this other country which happened to be the United States. But after a day she was finally released and when she arrived home, to her home, her father wasn't there. He was away but her uncle was there. And her uncle questioned her if it was true that she had been baptised and that she had joined a Christian church. Of course she didn't lie and he began to beat her. He beat her until she fell on the floor, almost unconscious with his fists and with a chair. But just before he killed her, or was was to kill her, her father came home and stopped him and got her medical attention. And When she could travel, her father immediately put her on a plane and she returned to the USA. When her pastor visited her and talked to, to her about her experience, he asked her a very personal question. And with her permission, she volunteered her answer. What were you thinking when your uncle was in the process of almost beating you to death? She she said, I was thinking about this man who has a religion that he would kill for, but I have a saviour that I would die for. Now, that's from a 17-year-old girl. Church membership is something that she embraced at the peril of her life. It matters to belong to the body of Christ and to be in fellowship with the people of God. One of the reasons we don't value church membership because it costs us here nothing. And this young 17-year-old girl knew the cost of church membership and what's so wonderful was that she embraced it When you join the church of Jesus Christ, are you ready to die for your faith? When you join in your local church, are you ready to lay down your life? Don't misunderstand me. We're saying here, I'm saying here, are you ready to die for Jesus? Because that's what he asks of you. I think one reason why we don't value church membership is because it hasn't ever cost many of us anything. Most Christians around the world know that being a baptised, believing member of a local church actually costs. Secondly, church membership is is vital for discipleship. Jesus makes that point in Matthew 28. Where does discipleship happen? In the context of those who baptise and teach, it happens in the local church. That's where discipleship happens. It's vital for witness. Baptism and discipleship set us apart from the world. Our Christian brothers and sisters in Muslim countries, they understand that. To be a baptised disciple sets you apart at the peril of your life. But it's also important for our encouragement in the Christian life, and for accountability. You see, in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 12, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul, in Ephesians 4, is telling us that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave gifts to the church. And what gifts did he give? Well, among them, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he he gave pastors and teachers, shepherds, elders, pastors to the church. And why did he give them? Paul tells us in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints and for the work of service. You see, that's what the church is for. The church is here to equip you for every good work, to encourage you and to hold you accountable. You're equipped through encouragement and accountability in the local church. You know, when I look around you and those who have to be online today because of various reasons, I see there's great encouragement. There are some husbands here that I say, Lord, I want to be a husband like you. There are some wise here who love their husbands tenderly. There are some people here who just have wonderful servant hearts and the Christian life isn't meant to be lived in a vacuum. It isn't meant to be lived in isolation. We need the encouragement of seeing other brothers and sisters living out the Christian life. Isolation isn't an option to the Christian life. We need one another, friends. It's essential. We can't live without one another. And we also need accountability. And this is an optional. You cannot be accountable outside of a place in which there is no authority. Where accountability is optional, accountability doesn't exist. Friends, sometimes it's our true Christian friends who can speak to our hearts because they care. They speak the truth in love. Even when it's uncomfortable. And that's what happens in the local church. And the beautiful thing about it, is it's not like any other friendship you'll find in the world. When your friends from work or from your past get too personal, you can decide whether you're going to be their friend or not. But if you decide, my dear brothers um, and sisters, That you, that you can't speak the truth into my life anymore, if my elders, my brother elders, can't speak the truth into my life anymore, then the manse here will be empty pretty soon. That's the beauty, that's the accountability, and it isn't optional. I can't decide to be not accountable to anybody anymore. That's not an option. If a church doesn't worry about membership, then there's no membership to speak truth into our lives. But when there's a non-optional accountability in the local church, when we love one another, warts and all, enough to speak God's truth into our lives, brother, you're not treating your wife right. Brother, you're abusing alcohol. Sister, you're gossiping. Son, you're living like the crowd at school, not like a follower of Christ. We're here to hold one another accountable and to speak the truth into one, another, uh, one another's lives and you can only do that in a context of where there's authority. And what has God done, what has God done to assist his church? He's given pastors, shepherds, elders to hold us accountable. And that's why Hebrews 13, 11 says, Obey, revere, appreciate, respect your leaders. Friends, there's nobody who isn't accountable in the Christian church. Your elders are accountable to God as well as to you. Your church leaders, they will give an account to God. So the church is vital to our discipleship, to our encouragement and our accountability. And membership in the local church, I'm going to make this statement, is non-optional. Remember what the risen Christ said? When he showed himself to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, you're on the way to kill some Christians. You're on the way to put some churches out of business. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting churches? He didn't say that, did he? No. (laughs) Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why does Jesus say that to Saul? Because if you persecute a Christian, then you're persecuting the church. You're persecuting the body of Christ. You're putting your finger on Jesus. And that's why the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 two things concerning the Lord's Supper. First in verse 28 it says, you need to examine yourselves. Second in verse 29, you must discern the body. What's Paul talking about there? Well, this Corinthian church had a lot of problems. And the biggest problem that Paul was dealing with is division within the church. So Paul says, don't come to the Lord's table unless you understand that these brothers and sisters here in this local church with you are in the body of Christ. No wonder, he says, if you don't discern the body, don't take the Lord's Supper because it will be eating and drinking condemnation to yourself because this is the Lord's body. You see, when you're united to Jesus, you're united to his body and that's not optional. If you say and think, Lord, I want Jesus, but I don't want his people. Friends, that's not optional. You see, it's one thing for us to say that joining a church isn't the way that you are saved and it isn't the way that you are justified, that joining a local church isn't necessary for your justification, but it's another thing to say that joining a church is optional because there's no way that you can express your tangible membership in the universal body of Christ without first expressing it in the local church. In Revelation 21, one of my favourite chapters in the Bible, We read about the new Jerusalem and we read about the bride beautifully dressed for a husband. And who is the bride? The church. And who is a husband? God. It's popular today in some circles to identify as being a Christian and yet reject any kind of organised religion. But the Bible is clear that to be a Christian involves identifying with the bride, the bride of Christ, which is, the, which is the church that God has created for himself. Church membership exists finally for the glory of God. It exists so that the world might see who God is by looking at what he has done for his church There's a lot of Christians that love the universal church but when it comes to the local church, they're not so sure about it. It's easy to love the universal church, that is, all the church, the, the, the Christians all over the world because you don't live right next door to it. It's much harder to love people that you know. It's much harder to love people who may have hurt you or people who even have let you down and people who you may have hurt or let down. But Jesus says, that's exactly where I want discipleship to happen, where people who have hurt one another must learn to forgive one another and to love one another, where people who've let one another down must ask for forgiveness and repent and be restored into fellowship and friendships and reconciled in their relationship with one another. And, of course, in that process they're reconciled, of course, in, and restored in their relationship to Christ. That's how I grow. Christians, not me, that's how Jesus grows, Christians. That's how I discipleship or disciple Christians who are ready to die, to be part of my body, who are prepared to love one another and to encourage one another. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider discipleship today, as we consider the local church and being part of the body of Christ, we pray that you will speak to our hearts and encourage us, enable us to be the, the disciples. That you would want us to be. And so, Lord, continue to teach us, continue to help us to grow in maturity in the faith, to sanctify us, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.